Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, welcome back to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I put out a call a few weeks ago for crew to join me on my summer sail. My initial plans had been to sail it down to the Canary Islands and leave it in the Canary Islands until January 2022 and then sail over to the Caribbean. I've changed those plans. I decided it was just too much travel and being, (laughs) like I always say, roller skating through the Louvre. So I've changed my plans and I've got most of my crews filled up. Thanks thanks to you guys. And and you know what? Every now and then I start thinking that this podcast has been going on long enough. I've covered a lot of topics and it just takes so much work that I consider just dropping it or passing it on to somebody. And then I put out a crew call like I did a few weeks ago and I'm overwhelmed with the great response that I that I get. And I met some wonderful people as a result of that crew call. And I'm sure that most of you don't know a, a rock band back in the late 60s, which was called Paul Revere and the Raiders. And it turns out one of my listeners is in the band. He plays bass in the band. His name's Ron Foss or Ron Foos. I'm not sure exactly how it's pronounced, but he apparently wrote me an email over a month ago and said he wanted to meet me. He was coming to Salt Lake and he wanted to meet me. And I don't know what happened to that email. I wouldn't search for it and I could not find it. I might've just deleted it inadvertently, but last Friday, and I'm doing this on June 2nd, uh, actually last, yeah, it was last Thursday evening, I got another email from him saying, I'm I'm in Salt Lake. I was hoping to get together with you and just get to meet you and see if there's a possibility of sailing with you at some point in time. And we got together for breakfast. And the, the band, Paul Revere and the Raiders, is, is a band that appeals to my generation. And they're still out there performing. They had some great songs in the in their ear. Probably the most famous one would be Cherokee Nation, which they did. But we got together for breakfast, got to meet him. Very interesting person. And I really enjoy meeting people face to face. I'm not much of a cyber person. And if you write me an email and want me to write you back an email, I'll say, hey, give me a call and send you my phone number. And some people choose to call me back. Other people don't. I met a lot of people responded to my crew call and I, I'm just thankful. I'm just really thankful to you guys that chose to respond. Here's how I I stand on the summer sale. I've decided not to bring it all the way to the Canary Islands this summer. I want to spend some time sailing the Atlantic islands. So next summer I plan on sailing to Madeira, the Canary islands. I think there's six or eight, islands in the Canary Islands, and then down to Cape Verde and do the Cape Verde Islands, and then leave my boat in Cape Verde and then come across in January 2023 to the Caribbean. 
So that'll give me a full summer of, of visiting these islands that I was going to rush through. And one of my big regrets when I brought my boat across the Atlantic in 97 was that I went to the Azores and I just just blew through the Azores, went to Horta, to Sarah, and that was it. And I really enjoyed the Azores, and I wish I'd spent more time in the Azores. So this year, and I've got the uh, most of the, the crews filled up. I've got the crew from uh, Monfalcone, Italy, will go on to Venice, and then I've got one guy getting off in Venice and another guy getting on. Actually, that first crew is going to be my friend Mike Seedall and his son Nick, Mike is my mentor. He's the guy that taught me to sail. He's the guy that owned the racing boats that I crewed on. And Nick was his son, and I watched Nick grow up and become a tremendous sailor as well. So they're joining me in Italy. Nick's getting off in Venice and heading back because he doesn't have the time. Mike's retired, so he can spend time with me. we got a local Italian gentleman joining us, a young 20-year-old Italian it's going to be joining us in Venice, and he's going to sail on to Sicily with us, which is going to be nice for a change because I find when I'm traveling in Italy, there's not that many people that speak English. Sometimes it's difficult to communicate, so that'll make things a little easier for us. Uh, then in Sicily, my family's joining me for a week, and then I've got um, Nigel from England who has committed to sailing with me until... And he's still committed as far as I know, but I'm not sure he's going to be able to join me because just this week, the EU cut off any travelers from Britain because of the the COVID situation over there. So he is not able to travel to Europe right now. So I'm not sure he's going to be able to join me. So as a backup, I've asked, well, Neil actually called me yesterday, Neil Fletcher, who's been a contributor to this podcast and was one of the first people that I took sailing from this pod- podcast. Him and Jack Andrews sailed with me years ago, and they've become lifelong friends as a result of that. Neil's going to Neil wrote me and said, Franz, it does not look like I'm going to be able to sail in Sweden this year, so can I go sailing with you? And I said, great, yeah, sure. Why don't you plan on joining me on this leg, which is the longest leg. It's going to be 700 nautical miles. We will leave from uh, Cephalou, Sicily sail up to one of the islands between there and Sardinia, then up to Sardinia, around the north end of Sardinia, then across to Mahon, Menorca. And on that leg, there will be two three-day, two-night, overnight sails, one from Sicily up to Sardinia, and then the other one from Sardinia over to Mahon. And that's a total of, I think, 16 days on the boat, and then I've got another crew, my friend Dave, lifelong friend, and his friend joining me in Mahon, Menorca. And they will sail over down to the Balearic Islands and over to Alicante and then down the coast to Almiramar. Now, I've still got one crew open, and I'm hesitant about even trying to fill this crew because this would be from Almiramar uh, out through the Straits of Gibraltar, and probably to Sevilla. There's a boatyard near Sevilla, which has hard standing, which is reasonably priced, that I think I would like to leave the boat. 
that is where my family joined me for the start of my Mediterranean adventure in 1997. And I thought it'd be fitting that that's where I end my Mediterranean adventures back in Sevilla. Delightful town. Wonderful town. But I would prefer to end the trip in Almiramar. If they have room on the hard standing in Almiramar, then that's probably where I will end the trip this summer and then fly back from there and then start the trip out in Almiramar next summer. So there's still one crew open tentatively. And so I'm hesitant of filling this crew. It's not that many miles. I think it's 300 miles, one overnight uh, passage. And that would be from, well, basically from Almiramar out closer to Gibraltar, the Straits of Gibraltar, probably to Estepona. And then um, then we'll be out and up in the Atlantic, out through Gibraltar and up in the Atlantic to Barbate for one stop, Cadiz for another stop, and then up the river to Sevilla for another stop. If you're interested in throwing your hat in the ring, let me know. Franz1 at medsailor.com. Again, Franz and then the number one at medsailor.com. Go ahead and write me uh, with the idea that that may or may not happen. Again, I don't. I really won't know until I get to Almiramar to see if they've got room on the hard for me to winter in Almiramar. And if they do, then that's where I want to leave the boat. So probably people that would be interested in this possible leg would be people that live in Spain or Italy, or England, assuming England opens up again, uh, that can come fairly, you know, on a spur of the moment. So what else has been going on? I (laughs) got into, I started to uh, try to grow mushrooms. I've got my first uh, batch of blue oyster mushrooms that are growing in my garage right now. I'm uh, trying to build a new garage at the ranch, really a workshop. And I'm having to deal with the uh, bureaucracy, the absolute detested bureaucracy of getting a building permit for a simple garage. And it's basically the same as getting a building permit for a house. It's absolutely insane what these bureaucrats want. They just want to control their life and justify their existence, in my opinion. You're welcome to disagree if you want. All right, let's get on to the show. I'm on Skype with... Andrew Vick. Andrew's a, a repeating contributor to this podcast. He's our resident expert on everything Croatia. And uh, you you reached out to me a little while ago and said, let's do a podcast, tell you what I did last summer, and a few other topics, which I thought made a heck of a lot of sense. I've been stuck in, uh, in Monfalcone, Italy for two years now. I just barely made uh, flight reservations to go back to Italy on uh, at the end of June, and hopefully I'll be able to get in. I had to, I, as it stands right now, and I'm recording this on April 28th, 2021. There's only two airlines that will let you get into Italy without doing a quarantine, and this is my understanding and, and what I know to be a fact because I just bought a ticket. Uh, I bought a ticket through Delta Airlines. El, uh, American Airlines apparently also offers this. But you can fly to Italy and get off and go travel the country without the quarantine 
which without this, you are required to quarantine for, I think, 14 days, which basically takes away a full, a full vacation for most people. But the way it works is prior to getting on the flight to, uh, to Italy, for me, it'll be prior to getting on the flight to Salt Lake City. I, I will have, within 48 hours previous to that, have a PCR test, which is a notoriously inaccurate test, um, as, as long as that's negative, I fly to the airport. They test me again at, in my, in my case, Atlanta, but it could be Atlanta or JFK. And they will give me an antibody test. As long as I pass that, then I can get on the plane. And once I get over to Italy, my understanding is I will have to pay for another PCR test when I get off the plane in Italy. And as long as that's negative, then I'm free to travel throughout the country. Otherwise, as it stands right now in Italy you still have to uh, undergo a quarantine. So now, Croatia, my understanding, is a lot easier than Italy. What are your, what's your understanding on Croatia, Andrew? I guess Croatia currently allows uh, anyone who's vaccinated or has recovered from, from COVID in the last six months or has a, you know, the recent test within 48 hours or, or something like that. And um, Croatia's overall been pretty good. I mean, already last summer beginning of last summer, they were allowing people in that had negative COVID tests. So they actually had a decent summer season last year, at least in July and August, which is you know, normally their peak season. So, But the current rules, yeah, um, vaccinated people, uh, recovered people, or negative tests, you come right in. Yeah, so. well, I've been vaccinated, so I would think with vaccination, I would be free to roam the world if they tell us about, if the, vacua- if the vaccinations are as good as they tell us they are. And if they're not, then I can understand the restrictions. But they shouldn't try to do it both ways, in my opinion. If you're vaccinated, you should be free to do whatever you want to do. If the vaccinations are as good as they say they are. Anyway, that's that's me getting off my my uh, my soapbox. <laughs> well, well, I think here now, I mean, it, it, it's late April. And the headlines a few days ago in the New York Times were that Europe is working on a way by summer that vaccinated Americans can come in with minimal hassles, you know, without, without having to take, you know, PCR tests and things like that. So I think they are working on a way to get us in there because uh, yeah. they want our money. I hope so. I, I want to spend some money over there. I'm in, in desirous to spend money in Europe. Uh, this year, this is something you don't know, Andrew, but I've decided to move my boat back to uh, the Caribbean this year. So my summer, yeah, my summer is going to be made up of very long hops, uh, and I'm and I'm, I'm I'm putting this out as a general notice to people that I am looking for crew to help me with these long hops. It's not going to be a pleasant summer. It's going to be a lot of overnight sails and not really stopping to dilly dally much uh in any one place i've got i've booked out uh, 14 days in sicily where my family will come and join me and that'll be pleasant but other than that i'm making oh typically 151 206 i'm looking at my schedule right now uh to in italy i'll be going all the way down the coast of italy 264 miles and then 151 miles to ortonto and then uh a long hop to catania um, and then around Sicily, and then from uh, Sicily, I will be heading out to um, um, Sicil- uh, 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 Sardinia, and then from Sardinia over to Mahon, Menorca, 
and you know, the typical days, the typical hops are at least a hundred miles every every time I get on the water, and in some cases, uh, a long hop from um, Menorca to Cartagena, Spain, two hundred ninety three miles, and then the longest one, which I think I've already got crew for, which will be going from uh, from Estepona, Spain, down to um, the Canary Islands, which is about six hundred forty seven miles. So long hops. Uh, for people that want to get time on a boat doing overnight passages, this will be the a good good time to go. If you're looking for my typical summer, which is port hopping, maybe 20, 30 miles a day, it's going to be a lot different than that. So that's my plans this year. And then I'll leave my boat in uh, Fuerteventura as it stands right now on the hard uh, at the end, at, at about the middle of September, and then come back in February or January and take it the rest of the way over to probably Grenada. And I've got people that want to do the. It seems it's funny to me. There's a lot of people that want to do an ocean passage, so I've got people lined up to do that ocean passage with me. Um, but I'm not sure how it'll go with these other openings. So we'll see what comes out. So if anybody's out there. Looking to possibly join me on any of these long hops, I will start sailing uh, the end of June. I've got a lot of long hops. Uh, I'm blo- I've blocked out from July 17th to July 30th uh, to, with the family, and then after that we'll be doing long hops again all the way over to, uh, to Spain. And I'll be doing a lot of boat work. I'll be putting the boat up on the hard uh, in, uh, in Almira Mar, Spain to take the mast down and do a rigging inspection and doing some preparation for the passage so i don't know if people want to do that boatyard work but i've sort of blocked that out as a me by working on that mostly by myself and that'll be around the 25th of august to probably the 31st of august that's the plans right now so yeah i got tired i I started looking at uh how difficult it's been for the last two years to go over and get on my boat with all the rules and regulations. And the fact that I've got a beautiful ranch that I enjoy in the summer and in the winter, I want to go somewhere warm. So I'm thinking, well, it's time to put the boat back into the Caribbean. I've never had it there before. So I have a place to go in the winter and go sailing. So that's that's why I'm moving it. Yeah, no, that makes some sense. I'm with you also, you know, before I got my boat in 2008, I was always in Europe visiting relatives in Scandinavia. And uh, and I kind of missed, you know, because summer, summer is prime time, right? So yeah. Yeah, I also kind of missed, um, you know, doing those non-sailing things in summer, which is why actually last year, the corona year was a bit of a blessing in disguise, right? That it, it actually forced me to, yeah, to do other things with my summer. Yeah, so. yeah. I get it, but that's exciting news on your end there, front. That's because uh, you you crossed over. What year did you cross the Atlantic? Ninety-seven. I crossed over, and that was a lousy crossing. Eighteen of the twenty-two days to the Azores was in in stormy weather, and uh, oh wow! And I lost thirty pounds on that crossing. My crew members gave up uh, gave up smoking, so I thought, well, we could sell this program if we could uh, market it. But, uh, but also, I was a naive sailor at the time. Uh, it was my first, well, my only ocean passage. And I went, instead of the traditional route, which is down to Bermuda and then up to the Azores, I said, well, geez, it's a straight line from Hampton, Virginia, over to the Azores. Why do I want to go down? Why do I don't go south and then go north? 
and every low that came off the east coast came and kicked me in the teeth all the way across there so there's a reason for going oh, down. man yeah <laughs> you learn you learn the hard way sometimes so but yeah this way i mean this is a milk run let's face it coming across from the canary islands in uh it's not a big deal people build it up to be a big deal but it's not a big deal as long as you have a seaworthy boat you know it's downwind run all the time just all the way across so yeah I'm, it'll be a nice easy downwind sail about 25 to 30 days across from the canary islands and uh yeah it'll be fun to have the boat down there and enjoy the winters in the uh, in the caribbean now where i'm going to put it for the hurricane season that's yet to be determined but we'll deal with that when the time comes so. Yeah, that is, that is the issue there, right? In the med, we don't have to think about that. Yeah. You know, we just put her up for the winter, and you know, you, you get some crazy storms like in the Adriatic with the Bora. You know, you do get some nasty storms, but they seem to have the boats. You know, funny how like my boat's on the hard there in near Split, but they point all the boats northeast, which is where that Bora wind comes from. So they on purpose, you know, they're not going to store the boats broadside, right? Yeah, so. yeah, and it's amazing. I've had my boat in Dubrovnik, well, I think probably four separate years, and they get some nasty, nasty storms. I've looked at some YouTube videos of uh, the, the Boras in Dubrovnik, and I always expect my uh, full cover to be torn apart when I get back there, but it's not. It seems to be hold up fine, which is surprising. But you're right. It's partly it's because they pack the boats in tight, and so they t- tend to protect each other fairly well. And also the direction that they point them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Well, tell me about what yeah. you did last summer. Yeah, last summer. Yeah, you know, after what, 12 summers in a row of sailing over there, kind of like you do, I go over for, you know, five, six weeks at a time and have friends join. And yeah, last summer, of course, you know, we, uh, yeah, I couldn't line up any crew. You know, people couldn't really travel, but I did make it to Europe. Um, I have, I'm pretty close with my Scandinavian route, so I did find a way into Europe last summer, and I ended up in Croatia for a bit just to, just to check on the boat. She stayed on the hard. I didn't put her in the water, um, but I was happy just being there, checking on her. You know, I was always kind of nervous to leave her, like to skip a summer, which would then result in her being on her own for two years, just unattended, you know, the motor never starting or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Corona, though, forced me to take, take the summer off. Um, but I went over there and uh, did some work. I did some projects. Um, you know, in terms of Corona, it was kind of nice. Every, you know, you're, even in September when I was there, you know, the lifestyle was all outdoors. You know, so it's very, very low risk for being, you know, spreading viruses and things. So, so yeah, I was happy over there. I missed all the wildfires back here in California. We had really bad smoke year here. So, yeah, did some wiring projects, uh, rented a car. You know, the country was empty, which was great. In fact, I mean, last year in general, traveling, those who did get to travel a bit, you know, it was just empty. You know, all the normal tourist sites. Uh, for example, I rented a car, drove down to Dubrovnik, and I tell you, you know, this is early September. This place is normally swamped at that time. <clears throat> and we were just, me and some friends were just walking around just empty. You know, that whole main drag down there was just empty. So it was really something else. Yeah, that sounds like my ideal type of traveling. I'm not a I'm not a fan of the crowds. So I would if I tried three times, three separate times to get over there, and Italy was just locked down tighter than a drum. I could not get into Italy. So I wish that made me wish I'd had my boat in Dubrovnik because I would have been able to go over and get on my boat in Dubrovnik. Because my understanding is people that own boats 
and had them there could get into the country. In fact, I talked to a couple other people that that's how they got into the country is they had boats in the country, so they were able to get in. Exactly. I think already last May they were saying, you know, if you had real estate or boat or some kind of interest like that, that, yeah, you could get in. And then I think by June they actually just let anyone in that had a you know, negative test. So, yeah, so that was a bit unfortunate. You were in Italy at the time. So, yeah, I don't think there was any way. I mean, well, you would have had to be really creative to get there, but but then what are you going to do? I mean, there's, your crew couldn't have come in and, yeah. Yeah. So have you ever left her on her own, like like skipped a summer yeah, and I'd, had her on her own for two I'd, years? I've done that one time. When, the, when I crossed the Atlantic, I worked my way up the coast of Spain, and I put her in um, in on, a, on the hard in Santa Pola, a little boatyard in Santa Pola. And I took the batteries out and set them down and, um, and came back two years later because I'd taken off five months that year or maybe six months that year. So the next year I did not go back to the boat. And when I got back to the boat, the boat was fine. And uh, the batteries were still good. They were still sitting where I'd take them out and set them on the side. I don't do that anymore. Their batteries are too heavy for me to lift out like that. But the batteries worked another probably three or four years after that. Those are those old good um, uh, Trojan T3s. I can't, the new batteries I get, the, these flooded gel batteries, don't seem to last anywhere near as long as those old golf cart batteries did. But uh, that's another thing I'm going to have to do this year because my batteries are going bad when I put it up last time. And before I even put it in the water this year, I'm going to have to replace the batteries and uh, my preference would be going with lithium batteries, but quite honestly, I want to get the boat in the water and start making time, and I don't want to be dilly-dallying around the boatyard trying to make a, a major change from my electrical system from flooded AGMs um, to, to lithium, uh, so I'll probably delay that to some other time. But uh, mm-hmm. what did you said you rewired yeah. your boat? That's a big change, yeah. Yeah. You regard your yeah, boat. Yeah, I mean, my boat was made in 1976, and, uh, you know, when I got it, you know, the wiring was in pretty bad shape, and all the things I've added on to it over the years, you know, I was just kind of uh, <laughs> compounding the problem. So I figure now is the time. So I kind of I changed out the panel, put one of those nice Lucy panels in, and I just had rolls of, you know, nice quality tinned wire, all the right connectors, and just kind of straightened all that out, you know. The boat won't go any faster with it, but, um, you know, all the switches are now labeled. Everything is where it needs to be. And, you know, I know it's, it's going to be reliable now. So, so no, I was happy to have the time to do that because, you know, before, you know, when you have a boat that far away, like, you know, like you're just saying, you know, when I get there for the summer, you know, I, I want to spend the minimum time. I want to get in the water and have some fun, right? Yeah. And that, and at the end, but, I mean, I've always had, so, I mean, over the years I've done different projects here and there, but, God, I mean, if I had the boat locally, I would just, you know, in the winter, I'd probably, you know, do a lot of projects now and then. But when the boat's that far away, you only see it once a year. Yeah, it's kind of tough to get all the little projects done, especially an older boat that, you know, has a lot of deferred maintenance. But I've been catching up on it over the years. And uh, But this is a good chance for me just to, you know, set aside. I think it was three full weeks. I was just in there, just, yeah, cutting wires and splicing things and just, just going at it. So, yeah, and you want to be by yourself. Looking forward. You want to be by yourself when you're doing a project like that because the whole boat is torn apart. <laughs> At least if it's like my boat, oh, everything's yeah, torn yeah, apart. Oh, and if you had two people on that, you'd be just messing up everything all the time. So it's uh, 
Yeah, I know when I start doing projects on my boat, all my tools, my hardware store, everything is in the lazarette. And I have to take everything out of the lazarette to start getting this stuff. And I have a big lazarette. I mean, I've got a whole hardware store back there. And uh, and it's all over the cockpit. And I can barely move around the cockpit because they're all in these nice little, uh, all my screws and, and you know, electrical terminals and shrink tubing. And I, all my hardware stores are in these nice uh, bins. And every bin is labeled. And I pull them out and set them aside and... And boy, if somebody tips one of those over, it would make a nightmare for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's tough. And we have to organize these things so precisely. You know, we have so little space. And we, both right. you and I have kind of older, you know, kind of you know, not much interior volume kind of boats. So right, and, and, and our boats, yeah. our boats are made for cruising. I mean, and so we have lots of spares. I've got lots of spares on my boat. You know, if it were a charter boat. You would have it, uh, that lazarette would be empty, and if something was needed, it'd come into the port and let the let the charter fleet take care of it. Let let them deal with it, but it's not going to be there on the boat all the time. Like you and I have spares and stuff on our boats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. So, Franz, you've had your boat. So, my boat is in near Split, a town called Trogear, which is a big mm-hmm. charter base. Yep. And um, you know. And I see all these charters. I'm there at the end of my season working on things, making sure she's good for the winter, fixing what I've broken during the season. And I see all these charters come back. You know, it, it's Saturday morning, and they just hand over the keys. They hop in their taxi to the airport, and, <laughs> and, and they're gone. I know you were in Dubrovnik. I know that's a big charter marina, too. Mm-hmm. But did you, ever, did you ever look at all those charters and, them, and, and envy them that they could just, you know, here's the keys. I'm flying home. Yeah, yeah. I, in fact, there was one time I was oh, and, and on an island in Greece. Let's see what was the name of it. Um, I can't think of the name of the island. It'll come to me. But anyway, I, I pulled up next to a, another couple, and they were on a boat. And I said, oh, is that your boat? I said, no, it's chartered. I said, how long do you have it chartered for? She said, he said, two months. I said, oh, really, a two-month charter? I said, how much did that cost you? And he said, $7,000. And I thought, Wow. You know, the $7,000 is sort of my minimum carrying cost for my boat on an annual basis. By the time you add the insurance, the mooring fees, the maintenance you have to do, the minimum maintenance you need to do, you're at seven, at least I am at $7,000. And I thought, boy, that would sure be nice just to maybe charter a boat and just hand over the keys after two months. But I think it's awfully hard to find a a charter for $7,000. And I, I guess, like you say... Uh, the, the, the downside of owning a boat is, uh, like you say, that's what you do in the summer. You're not going to hang around San Francisco in the summer. You're going to go over and get on your boat. Well, number one, because you like to, and number two, but that's how you justify the cost of having a boat like that. Is that how you feel? Well, it's kind of, you know, that whole owning versus chartering. I mean, 7000 for for two months. I mean, they scored a pretty sweet deal. I mean, they did, because yeah. yeah. I would think any boat you rent in high season in Croatia, I think, with 40 feet and up, is going to be at least 3000 euro for a week. And, of course, you can negotiate that down if you did, you know, eight, nine weeks. But still, that sounds like at least twenty grand to have, a you know, an eight-week charter, I would think. Yeah, and that's why I thought I thought that was an anomaly when I heard him. Um, so I didn't really take it too seriously. But if I could, if I could charter a boat, a decent boat, not not really a junky boat. And his his boat was an older boat, 
And it wasn't, uh, it was probably 38 feet, 37, 38 feet. So it wasn't over 40 feet. And it was him and his wife that were on it. And, uh, but maybe some of the older boats, some of the people that have these older boats that shouldn't be chartering can still loan out their boats as long as their insurance companies don't find out about it. Uh, you might be able to get away with that. But I, I'm with you. There's no way I think you could charter from a reputable organization for $7,000 for two months. It would cost you probably, like you say, closer to 20000 and probably actually closer to $30,000. So. I think you had some guests on your podcast maybe a year or two ago, uh, some younger guys. and they, they may have been from here in San Francisco, but they had chartered. They had found a sweet deal in Greece mm-hmm. on a charter boat. But uh, I don't think it was that sweet a deal. But, yeah, but it, it's hard. I mean, I guess you have to look at the non-tangible things. I mean, when you own a boat, I guess you have kind of a, a pride in it. And, I mean, you you built your boat, basically, right? Yeah, I, I bought the Holland Deck and finished the boat myself, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So there's a pride in it. And we've tailored our boats the way we like it. I have my, you know, LED accent lights. I have good solar panels. You know, I have I have all the little bells and whistles uh, that, that I want. And I've kind of tweaked it the way I like So. I know something about it. Also, my boat, as your boat does, uh, we have U.S. flags on the back. I'm, I proudly fly my U.S. flag, and it get, gets me a lot of street cred, i got to say. I'll, I'll pull into harbors there in Croatia. I mean, they come up, and my boat also looks a little bit older and a little bit beat up. It got worn down by the previous owners crossing a couple of oceans. But, um, yeah, people come up, and they're interested in the flag, and they see it's from San Francisco. And, yeah, they, I get all kinds of attention. And if I was just sailing around in this, you know, bright white plastic you know uh you know newer charter boat i I would just yeah i would just blend in you know with all the other sort of standard boats so yeah you'd have no character at all no character Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah my boat is registered in san francisco also did you know that you know i just learned that because i was pulling into sabtad a couple years ago and someone thought my boat might be yours they said oh this other american from san francisco pulling in here once in a while and I think we figured out on the last podcast a couple of years back that, uh, yeah, that's when I figured out that you also have San Francisco back there. Yeah. It's a good hailing port to have. I mean, we are one of the great port cities of the world. So That's right. That's so. right. Yeah. I had a choice of either doing Salt Lake City or San Francisco. And, of course, I wasn't going to list my port as Salt Lake City because it's not really a port. So that's why I went with San Francisco when I documented my boat. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, so... So let's talk about some of these topics that you brought up. Um, when we've, we've talked about owning versus buying for a minute or two, what if you if you had to tell somebody that wanted to live the dream, would you tell them to go charter or would you tell them to buy a boat and just jump in with both feet? Hmm. Yeah. What? You know. I guess. Well. They have to be ready to put a lot of time into it. I think it's any time, you know, even, even locally here, someone might be interested in buying a boat. And I said, well, you, you got to really be prepared that you're going to, this is going to be your passion and this is going to occupy a lot of your spare time. So be ready for that. You know, you need to, you know, it's not, it's not a car. You know, when you need to fix things, you don't just drive into the shop in the morning on the way to work and pick it up after. I mean, typically when we own boats, you know, we are, we become our own mechanics, right? We learn all about electric and plumbing and diesels and, and all that. So, it's not really economical to call, you know, call your boat repair guy every time something goes wrong. So, and as far as buying something abroad, yeah, you know, I kind of stumbled on my boat. I, 
I sailed in this, when I was younger, this floating youth hostel. I was on it for six weeks around the Med. That was 2002. And I kind of realized I really want my own boat in the Med. I got I to gotta come over here. I got to sail around. It was, felt like it was right on my alley. And I was just lucky to stumble across my boat. It was in the local magazine here called Latitude 38. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, you know, price, it was, she was in kind of bad shape, but the price reflected that. And I took a chance without seeing it, bought her, and flew over to Pisa in 2008 and uh, there she was you know and uh had i seen her before i wouldn't have bought her but (laughs) (laughs) one of the coolest things i've ever done is is having this boat so so it was in pisa italy that's where i first got my boat yeah pisa Mm -hmm. okay up the arno river there's some inexpensive little marinas uh in in up the arno river on the way to pisa you know with hard stand okay okay well, if I delay my trip any farther, maybe that's what I'll do because I could always delay my trip one more year before I bring it back. But I think I've sort of committed to uh, bringing it back this year. But I tell you what, I could easily change my mind and spend another year working my way east if the COVID restrictions just relax again because it's the COVID that's really driving me crazy right now. And uh, without without this decision, I had sort of thought of, well, you know, I really enjoyed Italy. I want to go do Sicily again. I'd love to go back to Malta again. I'd love to spend more time in Sardinia. And I'm going to lose all that if I just do a big run to the uh, to the Caribbean this year. So, I don't know. If things change, uh-huh. if, the, if the COVID restrictions change, my, my summer sailing season may change as well. We'll see. We'll, we'll, in a couple months, I'll know if, well, by, by June 22nd, I'll know for sure. Cause that's when I leave. So, okay. So, so you're a little up in the air. Well, that, that's good. Cause I mean, I was about to say, you're going to do that whole ice skating through the loop. Yeah. Thing, yeah. You know, yeah. race across the med this summer. Well, there's so many I'm places. Sure you got some favorite spots. You yeah. Mind too, yeah. I'd right? like to go back to a bunch of spots, you know, and there's a lot that I haven't seen yet too. There's a junk, ma- a junk phone call coming in right there. Let's just ignore that. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if Europe can get its vaccination act together, I mean, we've been pretty, I don't know, know how that worked out in the U.S. that we got to vaccinate everyone so so quickly. But things are looking up here. So hopefully if Europe isn't too far behind and we get back to some sense of normalcy. But tell you something interesting about the Caribbean. You know, they had super harsh lockdowns last year. There were places in the Caribbean where you couldn't even swim from your boat. You were just stuck on your boat at anchor. They didn't even want you swimming. So So that's a whole hodgepodge mess. Yeah, I talked to Jack Andrews about that. He was stuck in, uh, I think it was Antigua or Grenada. I'm not sure. But he was stuck on for at anchor for over 100 days. Wow. Yeah, and that does not sound like a good time to me. So, And as it stands right now, Grenada is really, really difficult to get into, and that would be my port at the end of the, uh, the transatlantic. And uh, their, their custom restrictions are as bad as anything I've seen in the Mediterranean. So it's not like you're you're going to a better place. You're actually going to probably a worse place, except for the climate is nice in the winter. <laughs> that's a big deal for me. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'll have yeah, to check. Yeah, that's tough, that wintering thing. Yeah, Caribbean, like you were saying before, you know, winter in the Med is easy enough. But in the Caribbean, yeah, you got to get out of that zone, right? Because you can't even, you shouldn't really be on the hard in some of these places, should you? Like, you really need to be well, I gotta, far south or all the way up in the U.S. I got a uh, application to renew my insurance uh, this year. Well, just yesterday I was filling it out. And uh, this second, I'm going to 
I'm going to pause this and go find it and read it to you, what the information they want. So hold on just a second. All right, I'm back. And this is a, an application for insurance. And this is the information they want to be able to have coverage for name storms. Okay, they said, do you live aboard the vessel year-round? No. If, if different from above, who's going to be responsible for the vessel before and after a named numbered windstorm? Please provide name, address, and contact details. And, of course, I have no idea. What is the name, address, right, right. and contact details of the marina or residence where the vessel is kept? I have no idea. I don't know yet. How frequently do you or the person named above visit the vessel? <laughs> Who, if other than the insured, has the authority and experience to move and or prepare the vessel for a storm? Please provide name, address, contact details. Is the vessel in a single slip? Yes, no. If it is, what clearance between the insured vessel and surrounding docks and piers? Is there a neighboring vessel? What is the distance in feet between the widest beam of the insured vessel and the neighboring vessel? How many lines are going to be used to secure the vessel? And it goes on and on and on and on and on. It was two pages of questions like that that I could not answer. <laughs> okay, here's one. Um, okay, if the Yeah, that's pretty comprehensive. Yeah, if the insured vessel is a sailboat, will the vessel be hauled and blocked ashore during the storm hurricane season? What are the height of pilings above the water level at spring tide? Are all the stands supporting the vessel chained together? Will all canvas binaries be taken off? Yes, of course. If the vessel is moved to a hurricane hold, what is the travel time by water? Are there any bridges, and will they be open? Please provide... These are questions you cannot answer ahead of time. At least I can't, with the limited information I have. So I don't know. My guess is I probably won't be covered for named hurricanes if I'm in that if, if I'm in the zone so like you say I'll probably have to be either Grenada Trinidad Tobago or over in uh, Guatemala up uh, the Rio Dolce I think is, an, is a big uh, place where people winter their boat or summer their boats down there so pretty, pretty how far different. north does one have to go Grenada, to get out of the hurricane zone Grenada is considered basically out of the hurricane zone but north of Grenada, I think you're starting to get more and more active as you go north from there. Uh, Trinidad and Tobago's out of it. Venezuela's out of it. Colombia's out of it. But there's, there's not, you know, of course, you can't go into Venezuela right now. That would be a great place to go if they had any marinas. Um, and they only had a couple marinas. When I was down there years and years and years ago, I went down to the one marina, which is on the coast down from uh, Caracas, and there was a couple boats there, but it wasn't really made for, at that time, uh, for charter yachts. And But that was really before the chartering got crazy. But, yeah, now you can't even go to Venezuela. But that would be a good place, if it ever comes out, to have set up a good marina as a hurricane hole because it's easy to get to. Yeah. So. And plenty of demand, I'm sure, too. Yeah, plenty of demand. There's people going out and living the dream Hundreds of new sailors every year that are looking for places to store their boats. So, yeah, all watching YouTube and all the YouTube sailors. <laughs> That's right. The YouTube has done a, done us a disservice. It's just made the anchorages more crowded. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's your yeah. 
I tell you, my plan this year, I'm I'm staying in Croatia, so I'm just, uh, which I'm fine with, um, you know, with all the possible border problems, you know, there's so much to explore in Croatia that I'm going to get in the water in early July, and uh, I'm going to sail north, going to get up, you know, up to Istria, flirt with the border there, and then uh, turn around and come back down again, so that's uh, that's going to be my plan. So it sounds like, I don't know, which what's your route going to be, like, when you uh. hop in the water Late June? Are you coming down the uh, Croatian side? Of the no, country? no. As it stands right now, I mean, I would like my goal, my desire would be to uh, hop over to Croatia and uh, and do hops down the Croatian side. But as it stands right now, the border crossing with COVID makes it too difficult to do that. Not because of not to get into Croatia, but to get back to Italy on the other side of it. I would have mm-hmm, to go right. into fourteen days of quarantine when I come back to Italy and that, that just kills that. So as it stands right now, and I hope it'll change, I will be heading over spending some time in Venice and the Venice lagoon. And then, uh, basically after that long, long, you know, two nights, two night, three night sails down the, uh, down the Italian side, I'm not going to be hopping in and out. I, I, every time I do something and I pull up your routes all the routes that you've given me over the years and see where you've gone. And if I'm pulling into a port, I, I sort of follow your route into that port. Because especially if I see that you've gone into a port four or five times, you must like it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing that. So I'm using, yeah, right. yeah, I'm me, using your information all the time. Uh, good. Good to hear. Yeah, you know, that east coast of Italy, you know, which is not super popular among cruisers. You know, I, I've covered that whole coast now, you know, in different different sections, different summers. But, uh, but, and I enjoy it. It's, it's not the most exciting coast to sail. I found the wind is usually pretty nice. There's usually either a land breeze or a sea breeze and some nice, you know, beam reach sailing and uh, cool towns. Um, but, you know, it's all man-made harbors and river basins and things and very little in terms of islands or, or natural harbors. But anyway, I enjoyed it. I, I think it, Italy is just a lot of fun. You know, great food. People are super fun. Yeah, I like Italians. I just, I like Italy and I like Italians. So, yeah, I look forward to actually spending more time in Italy. But uh, as far as sailing goes, Croatia is much more pleasant for that because you've got actually got protected waters. And the wind blows nicely from the north, usually that time of year. So it's a downwind run most of the time. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, if, if, the, if the border situation changes, and like I said, I think by summer, things are going to get a little easier for us Americans um, and vaccinated people to get around Europe. So... Would love to finally bump into you before you leave the med. So, know, for, so for when good. are you, when are you heading over? I think I'm going to set sail right around July 4th. I'm going to have the boat in the water and start sailing north from Split or Trogir. Okay. So I'll be going north. So you'll be coming south. So that'll be a good chance to. Uh, yeah. But we'll, we'll I'll check in with you as we get closer. You know. Yeah. It, it's hard to plan anything ahead right now just because you know all the uncertainty and who knows, maybe everything just goes, goes crazy bad again. You know, maybe our vaccines don't work that well. Who knows? Yeah. So Andrew, do you have AIS on your boat? I don't, I've never had AIS uh, on my boat. No, I understand you. You don't either. I don't either, but I did just buy, and it's just out this year, uh, a handheld from uh, ICOM which will act as, number one, a VHF, number two, a GPS, and number three, an AIS receiver. And okay. uh, I, I've always wanted to have AIS capabilities seeing what's out there. 
but I've never really wanted to transmit that one that that often because I just don't like everybody looking at where I am or knowing where, where I am. I guess I'm 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 uh, more right. private than that. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think it's funny, you know, when you read the kind of the sailing forums online, people talk about Croatia. And of course, there's this whole love hate thing between cruisers and, and Croatia. But one thing I come across a few times is people who so when you enter Croatia, you're you got your boat, you're coming into Croatia for the first time. You know, everything's been more relaxed in Italy and maybe to some degree in Greece. But you get to Croatia, you got to you got to really follow the rules. And one of those is when you approach your first port of entry, you have to take the absolute most direct route to get to that port of entry and tie up right away. You know, like you can't, let's say you're in Savtat, you know, you're waiting to check in, you're driving in circles because the key is, is, is full. You can't even take a swim or anything. I mean, they're, they're very strict about all of this. Um, and what they do, they're actually tracking you. So people are, of course, transmitting on, on AIF, you know, as they approach. And these guys are sitting with their computers in their office saying, oh, look at this guy coming from whatever country, coming from up from Montenegro or across from Italy, who's taking this little meandering route. Oh, look, he just, you know anchored at that island on his way in and once you make it to your to into the port they're there and they find you so and it's and a lot of this has to do with the people who are transmitting their, their ais and but what kind of blows me uh, blows me away is that why in the med in good weather in the summer do we even need or have ais it, it, it's really unnecessary and 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 to be transmitting all the time. I mean, this is just using battery power, and and it and it could get you into trouble. It could get you a fine. So, yeah. I guess my take on this is we don't need it. You and I survived. You made it across the Atlantic. You made it all the way across the Med, and we, you and I, just don't have AIS. I don't. I, I'd like to have it at some point, uh, um, but I think people need to, you know, maybe not rely on AIS so much. You know, let's just talk about this whole. If you talk to a newbie sailor, what do they what do they salivate over? They salivate over all the electronic crap that they can buy and put on the boat, all in the name of safety. I mean, you hear about these people and the chart plotters and the GPS and the the NEMA discussions between the units on board. So you know the the autopilot is talking to the GPS and and it's. And, it, and it's just so damn complicated and so, in my opinion, so unnecessary. I've made it across the Atlantic with a handheld GPS, and I, sh- and I could have done it with a sextant that I had on board, but I was just lazy, let's face it. And uh, I, I, I see these people upgrading their electronics all the time for wind speed, apparent wind, all this stuff. I think that's just so much overkill for a cruising sailor. Now, if you're a racing sailor, maybe, but boy, you know, my navigation is my iPad charts that I have, uh, the guidebooks that I have and a couple handheld GPSs, And that's it. What about you? Uh, yeah. My, mine is super basic too. What I'm afraid of with AIS is maybe another generation. It's going to be like, if you don't have AIS, you, you, you know, people think if they don't see any targets out there, there, there aren't any targets. Right. So they don't they don't but hold not a, they don't every other do vessel a watch. Has AIS. Right. You still right. got to have yeah. a watch, absolutely. You know, but and it's not it's not often cloudy or foggy in the Mediterranean. You don't have a few mile visibility. 
least that's never been my experience. I don't think I've ever had a real foggy day in the Mediterranean. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I haven't. No, I haven't either. Yeah, so you know what I do when I'm on a night crossing. You know, okay, night crossing it could be handy, but I also want to. I like to cover all the electronics. I want that boat to be as dark as it can be. And I and my eyeballs. That's your AIS. Is your eyeballs, right? Yeah. You look around. You scan the horizon, right? So. So, yeah, there's definitely an overliance. I mean, uh, I'm a bit of a geek. I mean, I've been coding since I was 11 years old, and and, and I I like the idea of all this, you know, data that can flow around and all the, you know, things are getting more standardized with the NEMA 2000 and all that. But but still, there comes a point. We're on the water. We go a certain speed. It's like, you know, we're not going to avoid old school. You know, know, your eyeballs are your best AIS. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in a way, of course, your eyeballs don't give you the MMSI number. You can't call them up. But, boy, you... You just look at the ship. He's got his red or his green light, you know, and you just track him. Yep. And then you can you can tell after a while if you're you know going to collide or. Yeah, and, and if so, and if it's one of the big ships, they're not going to avoid you. You better avoid them in spite of what the rules of the roads are. So you sure you better watch out. I was in uh, in Dubrovnik, and I was. Uh, oh, yeah, I had to go when I was putting my boat in the water one year, they made me go down to the customs port in Dubrovnik to get all my papers. And so I went into the customs port in Dubrovnik and it took me a while to find it, but I was on the second floor and I was paying the fees, the fees, always the fees. And uh, but one of the, uh, the port, the captain was looking at his uh, computer screen and it showed a boat at anchor just outside the ACI marina in Dubrovnik. And he said, I'm going to have to go get that guy. He's not supposed to be anchored there. And how did he see him? The guy had his AIS on. I've anchored there yeah, right. many times. Many times I've anchored there because I don't want to pay 150 bucks to go into the marina for a night. Uh, and and sometimes the marina won't even let me in. If it's a stormy, If it's a stormy night, they won't even let you enter the marina. So they tell you to anchor there. So that, that, that just reinforced my, my uh, bias against tra- uh, transmitting AIS device on my boat. Yeah. That said, it, it is getting you know, less and less expensive. You can have a whole you know, receiver and transmitter for what, just over $500 that has a built-in VHF uh, antenna splitter. So it's something I'll add, but uh, maybe more, more out of geekdom than anything else. Mm-hmm. But still, if I do a night crossing, I'm... I'm still going to cover up that display and, 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 and rely on my eyeballs as well. So yeah. it's not, yeah, it's not life or death out there in the summer in the med. You know, we don't need all, all the fancy gadgets. No, no. All right. Let's talk about, cause you have this on your topic of stern lines. What do you do with your stern lines and talk about some well, of your is- experiences? Yeah, well, you're you're sailing more places in the med than I have, but it seems like in Turkey, Greece, Croatia, that you often drop anchor and take a stern line to shore, either to a tree or a rock or something like that. Mm-hmm. I guess you, I think I've heard you say before you, you don't like doing it. I mean, and I kind of agree; it's a bit of a pain in the butt. So, yeah, do you have a good setup? You have a good yeah, long stern actually, line. Actually, I've got a, I've got a really good setup for it, but but uh, and I've done this by myself, and sometimes when you're in uh, tight narrow anchorages that's the only way you can anchor otherwise you're going to swing and possibly hit shore because you don't have the room to swing and uh, i'll tell you a story i was in turkey on this little island um I, I can't remember the name of it i could look it up on google earth and tell you but 
I was in this, I was by myself. I was after I dropped off a crew and I was, I always give myself two or three days for a solo sale. And I thought, I'm going to go into this little island, this island that has this, uh, this inlet here. I'm going to go up on this inlet and I'm going to, it looks like a great spot to anchor. And it was, and, but, but there was no room to swing with the amount of scope that you had to put down. There was no room to swing. So I thought, all right, so I'm going to uh, drop my anchor back up as close as I can get to the shore. And then I'll jump in the water and drag the stern line to shore and tie it up. And, <laughs> and I jumped in the water and the boat started slowly drifting downwind. <laughs> and I got to the end of the line and I didn't, I had not made it to shore in time. And the next time I left the boat in reverse and I swam it to shore, but I've, I've done it many, many times by myself and tied it to shore by myself. Um, at the end of my, and what makes it fairly difficult for me to swim my line to shore is I have about 10 feet of chain that I have tied to the end of the nylon. Because if you're going to go to rocks, those rocks are going to shape that nylon so fast that you're going to be getting a shorter and shorter line. And uh, if you have it around chain, chain's not going to get shaved. And so it's heavy to haul that chain to shore. So I'm having to swim this chain to shore. And, and then also the, the nylon line. I have half, probably about 300 feet of half-inch nylon line that comes out of my um, out of a hatch down below in the engine compartment that's just sort of stuffed in there. And it always comes out nice and easy. I see these people with the rollers on the back of their boat. That's another good solution for it. Uh, my boat. Yeah, those spools that have the yeah. webbing on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another good solution. And uh, probably a little better than mine, but I just don't have the ability or the uh, place to put a roller like that on the stern of my boat. But I think that's a good solution for it. But mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it takes up a lot less space. Yeah. When I think about my 200 feet of three-quarter inch line <laughs> that, oh. that I'm toting around, <laughs> okay. that adds up. Why do you need? Why do you think you need that mu- that heavy of a line for a stern line? Well, my boat came with it. Is is my main answer? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. But you know, I mostly use. I mean, that's really for certain situations. I, I rarely use that one. I have an old, like, sort of half inch uh, spinnaker halyard, which is my favorite stern line because it's you know, it's strong and mm-hmm. light, and uh, you know. And, and it's an old halyard, so, you know, when it shapes through, although, yeah, to counter that shape, you know, when I first started sailing in Croatia, I just, I really avoided, I mean, I almost never took stern lines to shore, um, but, and, but I started embracing it more and more after a few seasons, and it really opens things up. I mean, the number of places you can, you can stop if you're, you know, willing to put, you know, a couple lines to, to shore, it just goes up exponentially. So, so it's something I do more and more now. Um, yeah, typically I have this yeah, old halyard, uh, which is my first line. You're going to run two lines to shore, probably maybe 30 degrees off, you know, each, each stern, each stern cleat. Sometimes I um, do that. Most of the time I don't, if there's room for swinging back and forth, I'll just do one line back and forth. But, uh, you're right. It, it opens up a tremendous amount of places to anchor. Um, I, I first started doing stern lines when I had my boat up in, the Pacific Northwest sailing around the Gulf Islands and the San Juan Islands, and particularly up in uh, British Columbia, uh, the anchorages are, are very deep. They may be protected, but they're very, very deep. 
And uh, the only way to anchor is to drop an anchor probably 100 feet of line and you're back up as the shore and you're probably only going to be about 10 feet off the shore and it's still going to be 50 feet underneath the boat and then you've got to get a line on a tree or a rock. Otherwise, you're going to swing out and your your anchor is going to be hanging straight down. So that gives you the opportunity to go into deep anchorages when when otherwise you wouldn't be able to anchor. And were you anchoring this deep in the Pacific Northwest with your boat with no electric windlass? Oh God, it was hell. <laughs> it was hell. That was before. <laughs> I, that was before I. That was when I was young and uh, young and dumb, as they say. But uh, yeah, I had. Uh, I had that hand wind. I had a hand windlass, so it'd take up six inches at a time. So I, I developed a strong upper body bringing that thing in. But uh, my friend, uh, my friend Neil Fletcher doesn't even have an electric windlass on his boat, and I, I keep saying that's the first thing you need to buy for your boat because I consider that essential gear now. So. Well, I don't have it either, and um, you I'm don't have, have you, the... you don't have a windlass. I don't have an electric windlass. Oh. I have this this one with the crank, right, where this mm-hmm. bar and you kind of get six inches at a time, um, which is a pain. I almost, almost never use that thing. Uh, so we just we pull it up by hand. But that also means that I'm probably never anchoring in anything less or more than 10 meters or 33 feet of depth yeah. and preferably less. <laughs> you know, if I can anchor in three meters, that, that's uh, even better, right? Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you no, learn no to get windlass. in as shallow as you can when you have to do it by hand. When you have an electric <laughs> windlass, sure. you just say, I'll go wherever I can. If I start dragging, I'll pull it up and go do it again. You get so blasé when you have an electric windlass. If it, you know how it, how it is when you drop an anchor, you want it to stick. You want it to hold. And, and uh, if it doesn't hold, then you'll start cussing. Or, or you'll probably stay there. You'll say, oh, it's not going to be stormy tonight. It's not going to be windy tonight. With an electric windlass, if it doesn't hold when you do your tests, yeah, I'd just pull it up and do it again, you know. But if I had to pull it up by hand, I'd be saying, eh, am I going to have to move tonight or am I okay? So, Yeah, maybe it's not going to blow tonight. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, oh, man. But, but, but well, we got to get some exercise in the boat, too. You know, you sit around a boat all, you know, all summer <laughs> long. You don't get a whole lot of exercise. So, so yeah, but no, I'll probably upgrade at some point. It would be a bit liberating, and like you said, you'll you'll re-anchor without without you know thinking about it. But I usually have some good crew with me. Actually, usually my crew is the one up front dealing with that. So yeah, I tend yeah. to still do a lot of uh, solo sailing, single-handed sailing, and uh, and I I really enjoy it for single-handed sailing because I can sit back in the cockpit and lower down the anchor. Or there's been times, one time in Croatia around Pula. A big storm up came up. I was by myself during the night, and I had to pull up the anchor, and I just started the engine and started motoring forward on the anchor chain and just pulled it, you know, just pushed the button and pulled it on up. But if I'd been by myself uh, and had to do that by hand, that could have been a fairly dangerous situation because as soon as that anchor comes off the bottom, you're starting to drift back. So... So anyway, yeah, yeah, no, no, exactly, no, I know what you mean. Same situation, yeah, same thing. If I'm alone and it's windy, yeah, yeah. Once it anchors up, you're you're moving, so you got to be really quick. Yeah, you know? yeah. Anyway, I, I'm I'm a oh, thorough convert. <laughs> I'm a thorough convert to elect to a to a power winch, whether it's hydraulic or electric. I I really do windless, not winch, windless. 
I really like it. I really like mine. So you'll, once you get one, Andrew, you'll never go back. You know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it, it's on the list. It's not uh, the highest on the list, but it's on the list. It'll, it'll happen at some point. <laughs> it would be right at the top of my list if mine went out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What else would I have? A little more solar, maybe a better autopilot. Uh, I don't have a wind indicator. Yeah, it could be. Okay. It could be a nice little luxury thing to have. So I don't know. New rigging at some point. I'll, you know, it's a money thing too. You gotta you know, prioritize you know, my rigging. I'm probably gonna pull my mast this summer. Um, yeah. Heard of a place on the island, Murter, that has a pretty, you know, well-reviewed rig shop. So okay. And things, Things can be kind of inexpensive in Croatia for something. Some of the service things I found, I uh, uh, feel like I got pretty good deals on. So, so the mask may be coming out for the first time. Since yeah, I've had yeah, I plan on taking my mask down this year when I get to Almiramar. And if I don't get to Almiramar, maybe I'll, if I end up staying the year, I'll, it'll, I'll, it'll come down somewhere along the way because my rigging is original rigging and I have no intentions of replacing it because. I, Unlike everybody else, my my splices are hand splices, and you can detect if there's any problems with them. You can see, you can see the whole, the whole rigging. You know, the cable, the splice, the, the uh, everything, and there has not been a single wire come free on any of my rigging in all these years. And if I had to replace it, I don't know where who I would find to be able to do those splices again. I had a guy out of uh, uh, Southern California, a guy by the name of Joe Sones, who was a master rigger, do my splices years ago. And, boy, I love my hand-spliced eye, eye rigging, the, eye, the thimbles, the eye thimbles on my rigging. Swedged, you just never know what the hell's going on hidden underneath those swedges. Yeah, sure. And I'm curious what you have. That's, so it's not this kind of, are they called Staylock fittings, the one you can kind of make up yourself? This no. Is different than that? No, mine, you know, you know what, a, you know, you know the cable, you go around a thimble and you put a splice, an eye splice on the end of that. And uh, a, a good rigger can make that so nice and tight and clean. And then they usually parcel it up with seizing uh, twine around it. Looks great. You know, the old square riggers, that's exactly what they did. So, yeah, it's a thimble and then the cable around the thimble and then the splice. So it's an eye splice around a thimble. And my thimbles are solid bronze thimbles. So that's always the weak spot on an on eye splice is the thimbles sometimes will collapse. So if you have a solid thimble, you don't have to worry about that. So. Yeah, wow. It's, and you've had that same thing since... We're talking how many? Thirty years? Oh yeah, thirty years. And I have no intention. I take it off and inspect it. But if it's, you know, if I don't see anything, and I doubt I will see anything, I'll just put it right back up. I won't. Uh, I won't. I would not replace that rigging, unless there's some sort of sign of uh, of wear. And mm-hmm. I haven't seen any sign of wear in thirty years, from what I can see on the lower side. Now, maybe some of the tangs on the upper part need to be replaced. So that's what I'll be looking at probably as close as anything is the actual standing rigging as well as the tangs that they connect to. Yeah. Sure, or, or chain plates. I don't know, maybe you have the straps on the outside of the hole. I mean, how does it attach to your Yep, my chain plates hole? My chain plates are on the outside, so I can easily inspect those anytime. And uh, people stay away from me because of those, uh, <laughs> those nasty-looking chain plates. Off? Huh? 
you get some old heads sticking out and uh, they could scratch other boats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, people don't like to see my chain plates. They tend to get their mm-hmm. bumpers out real fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, this Mediterranean climate has gone, you know, made things a little easier for us, like on, you know, on our rigging, on our electronics and things. It's just a drier climate yeah. than, say, the Caribbean. I wonder if we get much benefit from that. I think we do. I mean, we don't seem to. My boat's been wintering over the years so many times, and I go back, and a couple times I've had a hard time starting the engine. And last year I kept having problems starting the engine uh, because I kept getting uh, air in my fuel line, and I've got to track that down. Um, So I've got to work on that. But when I talked to a mechanic, he said, you know, quite often the the air starts getting in old fuel lines so replace the fuel lines or better yet just set up a whole new fuel line to go to a separate uh, fuel can and see if you still have the same problems and if you don't at that point in time then that's your fuel lines between mm-hmm. the tank and the uh, and the uh, filter the fuel filter so that's what I'll be testing next year I've got uh, a bunch of fuel line and I'll just run it back to my spare diesel tank in the, the the lazarette where everything else is and uh run it from there to see if i can figure out if that's the problem because i had to mm-hmm. bleed i was having to bleed the engine quite often to get it started last summer like almost every other day which is oh, wow. the first time i've ever had to do that got good at bleeding i got very good at bleeding sure? the uh, engine <laughs> so i've got that down now so <laughs> Dan, you got the 3GM30F, right, in, yep. your, in your boat, mm-hmm. the Yenmar? Yep. Yeah, and you probably don't have a whole lot of room, I mean, given the size of your boat. I guess your engine room isn't that big. <laughs> no, I can't even get <laughs> – I can barely get my left arm down the left side where I have the uh, the dipstick. I can I can feel the dipstick and pull it out, but uh, that's about the maximum, length, maximum width on that side. Uh, on the right <laughs> side as I'm going back or on the – port side i can crawl back there into the engine room and see the shaft but on the left side there is no room at all as i'm as i'm facing the engine from looking stern that would be the left side so yeah so yeah that dipstick that reminds me i can get i can reach for the dipstick at mine out but getting it back in again that's a there's a lot of hunting around with that little you know where's the hole do you have the same engine I have a 3GMF, so this is a 20-horsepower, a little bit smaller version of your motor. Okay, okay. It's simply called 3GMF without the 30. So okay. A little smaller, a little weaker, but, uh, yeah, it goes go strong. It's good, and it starts, I tell you, you know, once they bleed it, it just starts every time, you know, two cranks, and it's on. Yeah, so I've figured it. One guy in, uh, in Shibanik, the marina at Shibanik, I had him come down and look at it. He said, how, how old is the boat? And I told him, he said, how many hours do you have on this? I, I just guessed because I don't have an engine hour meter, which I, I'm sorry I don't, but I wish I did. But he said, perhaps it's time for you and the engine to be departed. I thought, <laughs> he said, I was, I was due for a new engine, but I don't have any intention of doing that yet. The engine, I think, is fine. I've just got to figure out what this problem is with the, uh, with the air getting into the injection. So, yeah. Once yeah, I, my mechanic, they, they want to do a rebuild, and I'm like, well, I don't know. She's going strong, and she's been going strong all these uh, years. They'll, so. ne- they'll never be the same after a rebuild. I had a friend rebuild his engine, and, it's, and it was never as good as it was before. I'm skeptical of rebuilds. 
Yanmar mm-hmm. puts them so so well together to begin with that uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant of ever doing something like that. I would probably replace the engine rather than do a rebuild. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and that guy wanted you to do that, and so you could make a little money. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's that's a big buck, though. Oh man, I mean, if if our engines ever go out, this is going to be an enormous amount of money. Yeah, that's 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 it. So. Would Any, you go Yanmar again? Oh, uh, I would either go Yanmar, Yanmar or Beta, and I would actually lean towards Beta. I've got a Kubota tractor, and that thing is a great tractor. And uh, the Beta engines are basically a, a, a Kubota engine uh, that's been uh, set up for maritime, and they're built in Britain. Uh, Neil Fletcher has one. Do you watch... Um, do you watch the um, Samson Boat Company videos rebuilding um, Tally Ho? No, no, I don't. Oh, you'd enjoy it, yeah. Uh, but he's looked at the betas as well. I would, I would, the 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 new Yanmars have gotten a lot more electronic stuff on them than the old ones do, and so whenever you start adding electronics and computers, I start getting nervous, and. Uh, the betas are still the old traditional, you know, you can hand crank start them if you need to. You can do all that stuff. But I don't think you can do that with the new Yanmars. Uh, so for that, for that, if, it, if the Yanmars were just like the 3GM30 or the 3GM30F, the original ones, I would probably absolutely get another Yanmar. But I've gone and looked at some of the new, new Yanmars, and they've got a lot more electronics on them, which spells problems in my mind. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Keep it simple, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You can't fix electronics. You just have to replace the whole board. You know, you just, you got to troubleshoot it, and then the whole board's going to cost you a couple thousand dollars to do anything. So at least that's my opinion on it. So, yeah, yep. Well, what would you do? Would you go with another Yanmar? You know, I've been involved with two boats that uh, have Yanmars in them, and so in a way, you kind of get to know them. You kind of, you know, mm-hmm. learn the procedures and, you know, you figure out their kinks. So, yeah, so, I mean, that part of me says, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure the price tag, when it comes down to it, might discourage me. And, of course, yeah, this, the beta engines are also on my radar just from what I've seen and heard of, you know, people repowering. So, yeah, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want that to ever happen because, uh, you know, that's going to be expensive. And, it, you know, my boat isn't, isn't worth that much so it's kind of hard to hard you know hard to invest in something that doesn't have a lot of value anyway so yeah i think that's exactly what i look at my boat still probably carries a value of probably seventy five thousand dollars fifty to fifty to a hundred thousand dollars somewhere in that range but i couldn't replace it for that you know right yeah you know i and your boat is still one of the old boats with the heavy fiberglass hulls. They don't make them that way anymore. If you bump up against the shore sometime, you're just going to slide off. You're just going to be able to pull it off. The new boats, that'll be a total write-off of the boat. The, the eggshell sure. hulls that they have nowadays, they may be engineered for sailing, but they're not engineered for mistakes. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, good, good point. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, my boat, yeah, your boat, well, yeah, Bristol Channel Cutter. I mean, this is a, a known brand, and uh, I'm sure you've built it very well and keep it in amazing shape. So, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, hopefully cross paths. I want to finally see this boat before you uh, leave leave the Adriatic for good. Yeah, well, hopefully. Anything else we ought to touch on before we call it an interview, Andrew? We just sort of meandered around, but it's good to get you on the phone and talk to you. So basically, we're sharing a phone call I would have with you with our listeners. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I hope they got hope they got something out of it. But yeah, always fun to talk to you, and I, and I listen to all your other podcasts too. Always fun to hear you bantering along with everybody. So. Yeah, I enjoy it. And by the way, that yeah. no, no, again, all is good. And again, anybody that's uh, traveling in the Carib or the Mediterranean, the Adriatic, needs to get your uh, your tracks, your Google Earth tracks for years gone by because they are so valuable. You turn them on and you see exactly where I see these ports where you go into like ten times. You obviously like that port. You know, there's places you go back <laughs> over and over and over again. I say, okay, I haven't been there. Maybe I better go check that place out because Andrew seems to like it. So <laughs> tell, the pe- oh, tell people how they can get that again. I know I've got it on the website, but I know you have it as well. Well, you know, I don't have an easy link for it. I think what we should do is I should give you an – I think yours only covers my tracks through 2014. Yeah. I'm going to make a new one for you that takes us all the way up through 2019. Oh, get it And uh, yeah. maybe, maybe we can put this as a link on uh, – yeah, on this uh, podcast by the time it comes out. Yeah, that would be great because, like I say, I use that. I, I, when I'm starting to do my summer planning, I turn your tracks on and I start looking at them and uh, learning more about where to go. So, yeah, that's, that's a very valuable. Get that to me. We'll figure out somehow, some way to share it with people. People go to the website, uh, medsailor.com. I will probably, when we do it, I'll put up a separate page and somehow link to it however we can link to it. It's not easy to put up uh, to do it. I know I think somehow I had uh, to download it one time, or somehow I put it up there, and but it was not that easy to do it with WordPress. So yeah, I'll give you a link. It'll be a link to my website that has, yeah, that go, takes people right to the, uh, it, it'll be a KMZ file. So. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks, Andrew. I guess i got to catch up on all these phone calls that have come in over the last hour, so we'll call it an interview. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Good front. Yeah, good talking to you. Talk to you hey. later. Okay, bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f***. What the f*** gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it.